You're listening to another great podcast in the MyMac Podcasting Network. Hi, folks, and welcome to Let's Talk Apple number 114. This is the show for February 2023, and I'm your host, Bart Bouchotts. Joining me today, I have a wonderful panel who happen to be co-located in the same place as it happens, which is not my house. But anyway, uh, joining me is good friend of the show and longtime contributor, Alison Sheridan. Hi, Alison. Hey, Bart, how are you doing? I am doing well. And visiting Alison and therefore very kindly visiting us, we have um, Mac aficionado Barry Falk joining us for the first time. Barry, welcome aboard. Thank you, Bart. Thank you so much for having me on today. How has Barry for... never been on this show before? That's the real question, right? That kind of is, actually. And that's I, I, that's my fault. And apologies, because, yeah, why not? Well, since you've kind never of... technically met. That's true. That is also and true. I've been kind of dark on podcasting for a little while, especially with all the moving I've been doing lately. Ah, well... I, I don't like to spring things to on people off an air, but if you would like to become a regular, you are extremely welcome. Uh, but we can well, talk about that kind. afterwards. Um, Maybe you should see whether he's any good first, though. That's a good <laughs> <point>. <laughs> You're going to block me afterwards. <laughs> Terrible. Well, you're technically logged in as Steve, so technically speaking, I'm not connected to you yet. But anyway, we <laughs> have a month's worth of Apple news to digest. Um, although it's not been the world's most busy month. I actually had trouble picking three stories to make into the main stories and arguably they're not really all that main. But hey, we'll treat them as the main stories and we'll get stuck in regardless. Um, we have one follow up story from last month's news. Um, we talked about Apple releasing AI based audio narration for books that they didn't think would be basically economically viable for a full on audiobook treatment. And one group of audiobook narrators from one company have gotten extremely cranky about this and they actually had a clause in their contract with Apple that said that they could revoke their contract with Apple at any time and they've actually implemented that clause. And so they have retroactively pulled everything from Apple because their Apple contract had a line that said, we may use your audio to train AI. And they were like, well, that's very sneaky. It's like, yeah, but it was in that the contract. the worst thing ever. That that is just like you, wait. So I'm selling you, or I'm I'm renting you my voice for this. This is my product, and you're just gonna go take it. Yeah, it's it's wait, like what? they only have those captures that make you choose things, which are also training AI, which I find extremely annoying. <laughs> oh, true, but anyway, it's it's interesting. So they have, uh, but so far actually, that's the only blowback. There's been no blowback from any of the really big companies. So on the whole, I guess given how potentially. Yeah, what's the word? Con contentious, I guess it could have been worse. But anyway, so that that's our one piece of follow up from last month. Um, jumping straight into legal latest, the Apple v Alive Core story had a small development, as in nothing happened. Um, President Biden had the power to block the injunction that Alive Core won last month, and President Biden chose not to act. So nothing has happened which is, I guess, in a way, news. So just to catch people up on where this case stands. So AliveCore won an injunction against Apple for the import of Apple Watches over a set of patents that Apple won a suit on dismissing the patents as invalid. But there's an appeal pending on the invalidation. So until that appeal is over, the injunction stands. So could you have got more double negatives into that? I know, I know, I know. And the whole thing is stayed until all appeals have been exhausted. So, so this could go on for quite a long time. Yeah. And the good news is Apple Watches continue to flow while all of this shenanigans is shenaniganing on. So that, I think that's probably the main takeaway here. And is this a US only block or is this global? Uh, it's U.S. import ban, so it is the ITC, International Trade Commission in the U.S., would in theory block imports from the manufacturer in China into America, hypothetically. Of Apple Watches. Of Apple Watches, because oh. AliveCore literally had a patent on the idea of measuring heart rate on a watch, which is why the patent was invalidated. But they're appealing that. Okay. So, 
yeah, it's yeah, it, real patent troll stuff if you ask me. But hey, or non-practicing entity, like yeah. So Bart, we'll just order our watches from you. Yeah, that's it. I'll become the middle person. Yeah, and then I'll get done for illegally importing watches into America. Um, hmm, maybe not. Um, moving on to Apple services and original content highlights. Again, not an awful lot happening here this month. Um, Apple Maps got a nice update for the Finns, the Norwegians and the Swedes. Basically, Scandinavia now has the cool uh, look around feature. So that I guess it's also nice for us if we want to see what Stockholm looks like. We can now go in and get that cool street level view. Um, so that's again, it's nice to see Apple continue to roll this out around the world. Um this is one of the few things where Ireland was one of the very earliest company countries to get it. It was like, you know, big chunks of the US, Cupertino-ish, and then the UK and Ireland got it very soon. And I think there's still parts of America don't have this. I could be wrong on that, though. Well, it's kind of a big place. Mm, fair, fair. Do you Now, I know both of you drive fancy EV cars. Do you use Apple Maps at all? I only use Apple Maps because in Ireland... Tesla maps are useless. They oh. they don't have lane information. And driving in Dublin City in a five-lane spaghetti soup, where if you're in the wrong lane, good night, good luck, see you in four hours, it doesn't work. Interesting. Since I'm now based out of the San Francisco Bay Area, I've seen a massive, uh, I don't want to say improvement, but just the detail on the maps is incredible because they're obviously always driving around this area. Um, since uh, Chicago was pretty good too, but definitely magnitude level above in the Bay Area. I pretty much rely on the Tesla maps, but uh, when I'm figuring out where I want to go, it's all Apple maps. But as soon as I get in the car to actually drive somewhere, but like if I'm trying to find a restaurant or see where there are places close by or whatever, I would use uh, use Apple maps. Yeah, I would prefer to to not to, you know, to use the car's native maps, but like I say, one of, a few very stressful days, and I was like, no, no, I'm not doing that again. So anyway, Apple TV Plus. Then um, we had uh, some again, not huge amounts of news here. So people in America who are discovering soccer uh, do so through Apple these days because Apple now have the rights to Major League Soccer. And their second go is about to start uh, and they have announced some improvements. So they were adding more and better camera angles, higher resolution, and you can now hear the soccer in Dolby 5.1 audio, which seems like far too much audio for a soccer match, but hey. Better. Oh, no, 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 no. 5.1, that's, that's going to give you surround sound, right? Where you're going to hear the crowd behind you and the, the, you know, the microphones in front of you. It gives you more of an immersive experience. I and the point the crowd, one gives you the ba- yeah. the um, gives you the uh, subwoofer. Okay. Oh, that's what that means. Okay, so it's five speakers plus a subwoofer. Actually, yeah. So it's four plus the center channel. Oh, the point one might be the center channel. I always forget which one's which. I think it. I forget. But yeah. No, five point one all the way. Okay. I love it. Okay, I take that back then. So if you're into sports ball, and this is the <laughs> sports ball you like, um, then you know, hey, good to see. I did find uh, it intriguing because I'm not 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 a fan of soccer. I just really never got into it. Being from the U.S., baseball and football, uh, American football is definitely where I focus on. But I've been trying it just because it's been promoted. And in certain areas, like or I should say certain carriers in the U.S., actually will give it to you for free, like if you have T-Mobile. And oh. the quality looks really good. And so I sometimes just put it on in the background just because – I probably gained more of an appreciation for soccer from Ted Lasso, but <laughs> it's uh, definitely it's been it's been fun to watch. Actually, that's an interesting synergy. Their most popular TV show is in is in sync with their biggest sport acquisition. Yeah, I'd be surprised if someone Eddie Q or someone is a huge soccer fan. That that probably that seems plausible. That seems very plausible because it's. It's a very European sport. I believe the American uh, female team are probably more followed than the male team being, I believe, world champions recently enough. Yeah. Yeah. But and and they finally I think they finally won their bid for equal pay, which was interesting since the the, the men were like terrible in the last couple of years and they've been winning the the championships and they're like, yeah, but you don't get paid because you're like women who cares. 
well, why don't you pay, spend some of that money to promote us? Yeah, it, I mean, it, the most clear cut case I have ever seen for equal pay was the American League where, the, the, you know, the, you had the world champions being paid less than, I'm sorry, absolute nobodies. In terms of the male soccer championship, America sucks. And like What's you know, in the rest of in the rest of Europe, they're trying for pay parity too. And everyone's like, for God's sake, the Americans had to fight. And in their case, you know, the the women's team is literally the best in the world, and they're having to fight. But we are getting places, which is good to see. Um, then the other thing Apple would like to do is they would like to train more directors. So they're offering a six month program where you can basically tail a production team working on an Apple TV Plus project so that you gain the skills you need to become a director on a future Apple TV Plus project. And that just sounds like a really good idea. Oh, that's cool. So hopefully that brings... The content that they've been coming out with, I think is pretty darn impressive for a new service. And I'm hoping this continues. Has, I mean, I have seen things in Apple TV that are not to my taste. But I have not seen something on Apple TV that was not high quality, even if I didn't like it. Mm. I, I could still tell it was good. Have, have either of you seen something that you felt was subpar? Not really. No. And a lot of shows I really, really like. So Yeah. When's the next For All Mankind? That I was going to ask Steve. That has not, I haven't seen a boo about it. We've got Ted Lasso coming up on the, I think it's the 15th. Yeah, one yeah. week away-ish. Yeah, I'm looking forward to that. Yeah, we're rewatching season two to just get amped up again. It's pretty fun. Yeah, excellent. Um, and then, of course, the reason they are training up more developers is because they want more awards. And this year, the the Apple TV Plus creation that seems to be doing the best is the uh, Christmas special, The Boy, the Mole, the Fox and the Horse, which I believe is kind of the product of the pandemic. I believe it was a British author who hadn't really been an author before who had time during the pandemic and wrote a book that went completely and utterly viral on social media and has now been turned into an extremely successful animated series with the sort of a, I think it's a modern version of uh, The Snowman. I don't know. Was that a big deal in America, that cartoon, The Snowman? Not that I'm aware of. Uh, I haven't maybe heard a of British it. thing. Okay, no, it, it it's a British thing then. It's extremely saccharine. Uh, but very, very, it's, it's called The Snowman. It's an animation. It's built around a song. I'm walking on the air. It's really, really, really saccharine. But for Christmas, that's okay. Um, it's all of us as childhood memories on this side of the pond. Anyway, The, the Boy, the Mole and the Fox, is, it looks like being the next generation's equivalent of that. Again, an animated short. And it picked up a BAFTA award uh, for Best Short Animation. That is the British Academy Film and Television Awards. And it also picked up two Annie Awards, which are Animation Emmys, I think, in the US. So that is, I think it's, I think people expect good things from the Oscars. Cool. Yeah. Okay, well, that jumps us immediately into our three main stories. And there are only three. So the first is big changes in Apple HR. The second is... The EU have changed their mind on why Apple is in trouble, but they're still in trouble. And the third is that uh, M1s come a little bit closer to Linux land, or Linux land comes a little closer to M1 land. I'm not quite sure which way around to put that, but uh, there are quite a few stars on that third story. So that's worth digging into in some more detail. So digging into our first story, uh, it is... A long-running theme on this show for at least a year, I think probably two years at this stage, since mid-pandemic, I think. Apple's relationship with their employees has been on a downward slope for a while. And my pet theory has been that Deirdre O'Brien is not good at being head of HR. And she is no longer head of HR. She started off as being only in charge of the retail, and she is now back to being only in charge of retail. And a new person has been hired, uh, Carol Surface, who is now the chief people officer, which is an interesting new title. Um, and she has, she has a lot of history as a human resources person. She was uh, head of chief human resource officer at Medtronic. And before that, she was at Best Buy. And before that, she was at PepsiCo. So a lot of experience. As head of HR in all of those. As head of HR in all of those yeah. major companies. So she would appear to have the skills needed to do the job. And like I say, my personal pet theory is that Deirdre O'Brien is not good at being head of HR. So I'm hoping this will smooth things over with the Apple employees. 
Because I work as, in, uh, oh, sorry, oh, I was go just going to say, in a healthcare adjacent world, um, I know some people over at Medtronic, and they've always been very favorable about the company as a whole, which is often a product of a good HR organization. So that's uh, yeah. very intriguing, and it could be very positive for Apple, to your point, Bart. So I've never been thrilled with the changes that Deidre O'Brien's done with the uh, with the Apple stores with retail. In fact, I think the retail stores have really, really gone in a direction I'm not happy with over the last uh, few years that she's been in charge. But setting that aside, I don't understand how you can run retail and HR for one of the largest corporations in the world. I mean, that's that's those are two huge hats. Why would you yeah. have some one person do both of those? That doesn't make any sense. No, I agreed. Yeah, it, it seemed weird the day she got that role. Yeah, it just, you're right, Alison. It's like, she she is a person. One, just the one. She may- Yeah. And so I don't see them being, anybody- sometimes you can have groups that are related, right? I just, But I see these as two disparate areas. So I think this is a definite plus for the organization. They made up the title Head of People. As if somehow running a retail store and being in charge of all of your researchers and all of your design people and as if they were somehow related to each other by just saying, well, it's all people. (laughs) Yeah, that doesn't make any sense. And can anybody tell me what the difference is between a chief people officer and head of HR is? What what is that? Is that just new words? Yeah. I don't think Apple like the traditional titles. But all of the articles and the the article you uh, you pointed to here, they all say that she is the Apple's first chief people officer, and and they all the articles talk about how a lot of other companies have chief people officers, and now Apple has joined this. What is it? What's different? I had I never heard corporate. Yeah, it's a corporates cor- corporations like to all copy each other, and so we have a whole slew of C. XO titles that have been populating over the last five years. So I think this is just a in vogue, large corporation think, think, okay. thinking. Just want to make think, sure I wasn't somehow missing some giant subtlety between the difference between those. Well, I, I, I'm old enough to remember that we used to have a personnel office and then that became unfashionable. And then they were rechristened to HR offices. And the only thing I noticed is that the service the employees got got worse. That's the only difference I know is between personnel and HR. We were certainly a resource and could be disposed of. Uh, <laughs> so I don't know if people is better. Yeah, at least they're recognizing that they're people. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I sort of stuck into the show notes here because it seemed as good a place as any to hang it, is the fact that there have been some some continuing changes in the HR sphere so when we spoke last month, we talked about Glasgow Apple Store having voted to unionize. Well, they've now started the job of negotiating with Apple. And it's kind of interesting how boring this all is. They're basically looking to for the right to negotiate their pay, conditions and hours. That's it. That's <laughs> it's the most mundane stuff on the planet, which is it kind of tells me that there's something not good in the HR department if your workers feel they need to get an outside organization so they can talk to the company about pay conditions and hours. So, Yeah, I definitely see a lot of unionizing activities, not just within Apple, right, lately, at least in the U.S., and now you're seeing it in other countries as well. So I think there is, I think people are getting fed up in, in terms of their, their pay raises, and you look at the scale between the top executives and your line employees, and they're significant. And widening. Yeah. And I think with, you know, everybody's on social media, so it's easy for them to get the voices out, where in the past they didn't have that mechanism. Yeah. And then another interesting related story is that Apple have hired a former Swedish Minister of Foreign Affairs, Anne Lind, to be an advisor on global trends to the company. And apparently they have lots of these advisors, but we normally don't get to know about them. But the only reason we know about this one is because under Swedish law, politicians have to disclose what they do when they leave office to avoid that, you know, rotating door syndrome thing where you have someone who's in government who then goes into the place they used to regulate or whatever. So because she's a Swedish politician, we know she's doing this for Apple. But that's the only reason we know it, because Apple said nothing. So I don't I don't get what is she do advise on global trends? What does what does that mean? Is she a futurist or 
I think lobbyist is probably closer to it. It's, I, I would imagine it's how do we get the European Commission not to be too mean to us would be what I imagine ah. Apple want from her. <laughs> okay, that's good. Um, it's a totally a different nice, meeting. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> which is a nice segue so, to main story number two. And that's actually, no, I won't segue, Alison, because you're about to say something. Oh, I was just going to say, I, I, man, am I out of shape with my, uh, my uh, uh, lingo, right? <laughs> Wow, I think they make these things up. Mm-hmm. Buzzword bingo. So transitioning on to main story number two then, uh, the European Union have updated their antitrust complaint against Apple. So this is a glass half full or a glass half empty story, depending on how you decide to spin it. So they, I think the biggest takeaway is that they still say that Apple have been anti-competitive and they are still saying that um, Spotify have a case but they're changing the reasoning why. So they've decided not to... Officially, they're just saying we have no opinion on whether or not in-app purchases are anti-competitive. So they've changed their complaint from we believe this is anti-competitive to the commission has no position on whether or not in-app purchase is anti-competitive. So they're not saying you're in the clear, but they're also not saying this is a problem anymore. What they are saying is that there's a systematic bias against not Apple Music for music subscription services, as in it is not an even playing field between Apple Music and Spotify or between Apple Music and ah, who else is in that field? I think Spotify are the ones who make the most noise because they're European. Um, And so the commission still say that Apple are guilty of being anti-competitive. And the way this works is that this isn't a ruling. This is a statement of objections. So this is the commission saying it is our theory that you are being naughty. And Apple now have the right to reply. And then the statements of objections plus Apple's reply can then become a ruling. And when it's a ruling, then they're guilty and they have to pay fines and so on and so forth. So basically, this is the commission saying our theory of the case is you are guilty. Prove us wrong. And the ball is now in Apple's court where they have to reply and say, well, actually, no, we don't break European competition law for X, Y or Z reason. And then a judgment will come. So that's but isn't that huge good news for Apple as far as uh, trying to have in-app purchases, you know, trying to make there be external stores and all that nonsense uh, or awesomeness, depending on your perspective. Um, doesn't that make that moot now if the European Commission is not saying that they're anti-competitive, ah. not having anything but in-app purchases? You see, I can see why you would just come to that conclusion, but I think the reason they've decided not to bother having that argument is because the digital, ser- sorry, the digital services or markets act, one of those two that's coming into force, makes the whole point moot because the they don't have to use a competition law because it breaks either the DSA or the DMA. Can't remember which, and so they have to do it oh. anyway. So why bother oh, okay. wasting our time here? Okay, so it doesn't make them not have to waste their time or not have to. Uh, allow external sources because that act is good. Whichever act that was is going to make them do it anyway. Yeah. So I think basically the commissioner being like, well, we don't have to waste our time here. Let's just focus on the stuff Spotify wanted us to focus on. Needless to say, when I said glass half full and glass half empty, Apple responded by focusing only on the fact that they're not in trouble for in-app purchases. So they were like, um, actually, I'll just read Apple's statement. We will continue to work with the European Commission to understand and respond to their concerns, all the while promoting competition and choice for European customers. We're pleased that the Commission has narrowed its case and it is no longer challenging Apple's right to collect a commission for digital goods that require the use of the in-app payment system's users' trust. (laughs) The App Store has helped Spotify become the top music streaming service across Europe, and we hope the European Commission will end its pursuit of a complaint that has no merit. So basically, we made Spotify what they are. Leave us alone. Spotify do not agree. <laughs> Spotify say... Oh, I, love, I love the spin on that. That's fabulous. It is really passive aggressive, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. Uh, Spotify's take. Today, the European Commission sent a clear message that Apple's anti-competitive behavior and unfair practices have harmed consumers and disadvantaged developers for far too long. We urge the Commission to reach a swift decision in this case to protect consumers and restore fair competition on the iOS platform. So that's where Apple stands. Okay. Now, what I think is worth pointing out is that if Apple lose this... 
The fine is the standard European fine of 10% of annual worldwide revenue. So this is not Which small is potatoes. Wait, 10% of Apple's worldwide revenues of everything they do? Yep, that is standard oh, European fine. So the European oh, Union believe that you don't fine people a fixed amount because big companies just treat it as the cost of doing business. So they always charge fines as a percentage of earnings. That way it has to sting. Even if you're giant, it has to sting. So yeah, for Apple, that, that sings is, a lot. I mean, that, that's like life in prison because, uh, I don't know, that, 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 that's ridiculous. Well, that's the maximum that they're allowed. That, that, it's okay. a bit like, so if you're, the, yeah, the worst they could lose will be that amount. That's, you know, the way there's like a maximum sentence or whatever. Do you know if they've ever actually implemented that against anybody? I yes, actually, there have been there have been fines, but not against gigantic big people. So there have been ten percent of, of of earnings against smaller companies who have done egregious things. Um, I, I mean, I, I could see if they wanted to be egregious, they could do ten percent of App Store revenue, right. but Apple's revenue. Yeah, what's it got is, to do with that? That that's yeah, that that's it. that's the way all the European laws are written. Basically, if a company breaks the law, there, the, what is in jeopardy is ten percent of the company's earnings because the company broke the law. Therefore, the company pays ten percent. I can see 10%. it for uh, data leaks of personal information. Maybe that would be an appropriate penalty, but uh, I don't know. Hey, a long time ago, you told me that one of the big differences, tell me if I'm misquoting you, mm-hmm. one of the big differences between um, anti-competitive laws in the United States and in, in Europe is that in the United States, the laws are written to protect the companies, and in the in Europe, they're to protect uh, consumers. It's close, 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 but not quite. So it's about ownership, right? So let's say that I'm collecting some data. If I'm in America and I collect data, I own the data because I collected it. If I'm in Europe and I collect data... I'm talking about about anti-competitive practices, not data collection. So like if if you're being sued for uh, being anti-competitive, being a monopoly, Mm -hmm. nothing to do with data collection. I thought you said that you said that in the United States, our laws are written to that, that, you know, company A says company B is being mean. They're not letting us be competitive and they can win a suit on that. But in in uh, the Europe, it's more based on the, the, the consumers are saying, hey, we are being harmed by this anti-competitive process. Ah, OK, uh, again, not quite so. The European Commission's view on competitiveness is broader than financial. They're not interested. Basically, okay. yeah. The the yeah, tax taken precisely yes yeah. so it's basically they both agree that if you have a monopoly you can't do harm where the difference is in the definition of harm so technically speaking under the Sherman Antitrust Act you could interpret harm broadly in the United States but there have been a lot of court cases in the Supreme Court that have narrowed down the definition to mean price so effectively in the U.S. harm means price which is why. Amazon being a monopolist but selling cheap audiobooks is fine and why Apple lost that case because the consumers are getting cheap audiobooks. Whereas in Europe, that was seen as ridiculous because there's this massive monopoly and the authors are being, you know, they're really losing out here and users are being forced into one single platform and they're losing choice. And so by European definition, Amazon were a harmful monopolist, even though the price was low. Right. Okay. So the reason I wanted to get that clear was... In the case of talking about Spotify, do the do the consumers feel that they are being harmed by the way Apple does it? Do you? It doesn't. I don't know. I'm not sure. I see harm to the users. I think Spotify feel that they're losing business because Apple users. That's not what I asked. Not I know. Spotify I know. Being harmed. <laughs> okay, so it is. If I ask a poll straw a straw poll of my friends. Ninety-nine point nine percent of them are on Spotify. If you if you say to someone, "Do you have streaming music?" they will answer with, "Oh yeah, I have Spotify." Like it's a, like okay, Hoover so and vacuum they, cleaner. How is that? How is how are the users being harmed by? What's sure. you know? That's why I'm trying to figure out how the European con- uh, Commission would look at this if they're looking at it from the perspective of the consumer. What is the harm to the consumer? I think the theory is the prices are being held up higher than they should be because there's a 30% difference in the price that Spotify, basically there's a 30% tax on Spotify, which 
strikes the connection is unfair. The, the other issue is that Apple had that clause, right, that they can't say you can go to another website and pay a different price. And that, I think, is that, – that drives – the commission potty, this notion that you can't tell people that there's a cheaper alternative, but there is one, but you can't say it. That kind of thing drives, um, particularly um, Commissioner Vestager, drives her absolutely bonkers. Like, she does not like that approach. Okay. <laughs> anyway, I just wanted to clarify that that I thought that was different ways to look at it, depending on what country you're from. Well, if I may look at it, there's another way to look at it, which is the... Um, the somewhat cynical view, which I think we should share for fairness. Spotify is a European company. Apple is an American company. There is a European company asking the European Commission for help, and the European Commission seem to be taking their side. That is the cynical view. Okay. Okay. And the truth is somewhere in that mix. We shall see what happens to Apple's reply. Um, now that it's a narrower question, they may have an easier time answering it. But their little thing... A, a deadline Sorry. coming up? No, that's the thing. Uh, they actually, the European Commission say in their statement that there is no time frame for the res- resolution of these uh, these issues. It takes as long as it takes, is basically what they said. It's been going on since I believe it was, two th- was it 2011, I think the case started. It ended in a one and it wasn't 2001, so it must be 2011. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I love it when Mark gets these cases that he has to talk about for decades. It's fun. There are cases older than this show, and this show is at episode 114. That says something. Um, and normally at the top of the show, I do a rundown of all of the countries in the world that are cranky with Apple. But since this is a story about regulation, I thought I would move that into this story. So in other news, around the rest of the world, in Japan, Apple and Google are... In the spotlight, Japanese antitrust regulator was asked to do up a report and they have reported that they feel that both Google and Apple are abusing their market dominance in their app stores. So that has gone to the Japanese government who must now decide what they what to do with this report. So there may or may not be action coming in Japan. Uh, President Biden used his State of the Union address to have a go at big tech in general, which definitely does include Apple. Uh, a little bit more focused, the Department of Justice in the United States have apparently uh, tightened their anti-competitiveness probe against Apple. That's all reports because there's not an official, but it seems like they're tightening their their view there. And um, in Europe, the Norwegian banks felt they needed to release a statement after they had a private meeting with the European Commission. So... Banks in Europe are very cranky with Apple because NFC on the iPhone is locked down. So Apple Pay can do NFC for payments, but no other payment company can. And in Europe, there are a lot of alternatives that have existed before Apple Pay, and they feel they can only work on on Android, and they are very cranky about that. And so there was a there was a seat, not a secret, a closed door meeting where everyone got to make their case. Apple was in the room and so were the banks. And after the meeting, the only people who felt a reason to make noise was the banks, which leads everyone to the theory that they, behind closed doors, they did not make a good case. And so now they have to shout about it publicly. So we shall see. Any other thoughts on that? Or do we put on our nerdiest hat? We got it covered. Oh, let's go be nerdy. Yes. Yeah, let us put on the nerdiest hat we can. Linux on the M series processors. So you may have seen headlines along the lines of Linux coming to your favorite or uh, Linux on your Mac soon. He, a lot on of Apple places. Silicon. Yeah, a lot of places had to issue corrections because they jumped the gun. So it is true that the Linux kernel, as of Linux kernel version 6.2, now contains support for the M1 processor. The processor. Not the entire system on a chip. Not the entire Mac and all of its hardware. The processor. And only the M1. So in order to have Linux running on your laptop, you definitely want your graphics card to work. You probably want to be able to talk to your hard drive. You're definitely going to need some timing controllers and stuff to talk to the RAM. You're going to need some audio drivers. You might want USB, the touchpad, uh, keyboard, speakers, uh, audio, sleep. Yeah. Those are features you might want. Yeah. Sleep is actually a difficult one. Um, So... 
yes, there is a heck and lot more that is needed than support for the processor. And the only thing that has been upstreamed really into the Linux kernel is the processor. The rest is in train. So there's a so project called... the first step is really yeah. what's happened. And it's a really important step. And at a very geeky level, this is really big news. This is the first support for the M series processors in Linux right at the core. Like it's a big deal, but it is not install Linux on your laptop today. It is a long way from that. So, so I'd there, like to throw a a, a, a bone to uh, you. You linked to a bunch of articles of everybody backpedaling, but I think the Cult of Mac did an amazing job here. How often has there been like a big story and then it turns out it's not true and it ends up being like some little sub bullet in, you know, hidden what the real story was. Cult of Mac's article says Linux is now officially supported on Apple Silicon. Correction. No, it's not. Yeah. And it says this and they say this story was based on a misunderstanding of the facts. We published a correction to set the matter straight. Read that instead of the story below. And they link to their story where they're wrong. I've just never seen anybody do that. Make it as big as their original announcement. We were wrong. It's beautiful. Yes. It, it is. Good. And yeah. And I think they did a good job with their image as well, which is the year of Linux on the quote desktop. And they scratched off Mac because it's been the year of Linux on the desktop for as long as your show has been on, Bart. <laughs> Longer. Yeah. I, it, it's, it's a long running joke. It's it's like, um, you know, Cold Fusion is 30 years away and always will be. It's the it, <laughs> next year is the year of the desktop and it always will be. Although apparently the stream, not the stream deck, the Steam deck is apparently going to be the, the Linux desktop's future. Apparently. We shall see. So I have a question. Mm-hmm. If this uh, was farther along and uh, or further along, and, and it, it did have all of these drivers and was ready to go. What would this look like? Would this look like you scrape your Mac's operating system somehow and shove Linux on on there instead? I mean, how would because yeah, there's you, no boot camp? How how would you do it? You would in the Mac. You would run an app to install, say, Ubuntu or. CentOS or whatever your favorite Linux is. And then the, there is a bootloader in the M series Max. So there is actually the ability to have a boot menu. It's just by default, it has one entry, therefore you don't see it. But it actually, the functionality exists in the BIOS to have a boot menu. Oh, okay. Okay. All right. And so, like if you have a PC, once you install Linux, when it boots up, you get told, uh, do you want to boot that one or that one? You just get a little menu saying, do you want to boot Mac or Linux? Yeah, I haven't seen the bootloader since. Uh since uh boot camp existed but without boot camp it'll still it'll it, they have access to that there is a bootloader they have access to it and I've, I've listened to some interviews so the project that's doing the legwork here is an open source effort called asahi linux and their website is really interesting because they their status page tells you where what's needed and where they are with each feature so when I said, you know, you need drivers for all the things, like the, what I said is a truncated list. They have it broken down in fine detail and they have what version of their Asahi Linux does each thing. And a whole bunch of them say not done yet, not done yet, not done yet. And then other ones have a version number for how long they've had support. But I've heard interviews with their developers and they're saying that they are finding it surprisingly open. So Apple are not. So what they're saying is Apple are not helping us, but they are not obstructing us in any way. So it's like we don't we don't want to encourage you, but we're doing nothing to discourage you. And on one or two occasions, they found that APIs that were not working quite as expected were suddenly fixed. And they actually found that there have been cases where they think engineers within Apple have helped them. But officially, Apple say nothing. (laughs) That's kind of interesting. So it's like a nerd back channel that's going like to be somebody Like a nerd back channel. Yeah. Because it's all happening quiet. on GitHub, right? It's, it's all on GitHub. So Apple can watch everything the Asahi Linux people are doing because it's all on GitHub. And they have had issues and stuff silently fixed for them. Uh, so it's like anti-whack-a-mole? Anti-whack-a-mole. <laughs> and like the interviewer assumed Apple would be hostile to Asahi Linux. So they asked the question as in, how are Apple hampering you? And the Asahi Linux guys were like, no. This is really weird, but they're at the very least agnostic to us. And I think they might be helping us. But don't um, say it out loud because we don't want to yeah. stop, right? It was, I was surprised too, if I'm honest. I'd sort of expected Apple to be a little bit more hostile towards it. But they were saying that they are finding it's open. They're finding that the hardware has very sensible APIs and stuff. They're actually finding it surprisingly 
good going. Now, it's a huge task, but they're finding it surprisingly easy going, which is nice. So, yes, it will be coming and there is nice progress being made. And actually, another reason there's good progress being made is um, one of the biggest fans of Asahi Linux is a guy you may have heard of called Linus Torvalds. Because he believe he has been running the betas of Asahi Linux, so like the betas are very beta, right? You know the way I tell people, don't run a beta from your main machine; it's dangerous. Asahi Linux, the early versions of their audio driver had issues that literally blew up people's speakers. Like actually, hardware <laughs> blew up the speakers. That is the level of beta when you're doing hardware drivers. So they warn you, don't do this for the crack but uh, Linus Torvalds has been running Linux on MacBook Airs because he believes the nicest hardware is the M series MacBook Air and correct. therefore he yeah and therefore he wants Linux on his M series MacBooks and so he is a big supporter which is why this is getting put into the main kernel faster than a lot of people thought but again just support for the chip not support for the Mac so the M1 is supported, but not the Mac, which is probably the best way to sum it up. Yeah, that it's, makes sense, right? Yeah. Now, why are all the articles so specific about M1? Because there's no M2 they're support They're not yet. saying Apple Silicon. They're not saying M2. Correct. Because not at the saying- moment, what has been uploaded, what has been upstreamed is only M1 support. Why so is there enough of a fundamental different? change in the processor? That- it's not a fundamental change. They have to, re- they have to basically revalidate all of their code. And so the Asahi Linux project, that the code for M2 is well underway in Asahi Linux, but it's not so well underway that it's ready to move up into into the mainstream Linux kernel. So the, the Linux kernel is a very conservative place. You don't get into the Linux kernel until you're bullet tested and very, you know, known to be very robust and bug free and tested. So the Asahi Linux project is way more advanced than the official Linux kernel. And it's why it's such a big deal that this got into the Linux kernel, because it's really hard to make Linus Torvalds not cranky at you. <laughs> He's a picky, picky man. So it's like the Asahi Linux people deserve he gets serious to be. kudos. Well, he does sure. get to be. And in fairness, he's running half the internet in terms of servers. You know, almost, it's so much, even Microsoft's cloud is hanging there because of Linux, right? So the Linux project can't afford to be sloppy with their kernel. It, it would be very bad for the internet. So, you know, it's a big deal to get stuff in the kernel. So this is a huge milestone and the Asahi Linux project deserve, you know, go GitHub and click the donate button. Like they're doing amazing work and they're really nice people based on the interviews I've heard with them as well, which is cool. So there we go. A little bit of debunking, I guess. But I, I still think this is amazing news. It's just not the amazing news some people reported. Yeah, yeah. That's very cool, though. Looking forward to it. That'd be fun to do. Me too. And see, the, the most important thing is that by the time M1 Macs are getting near retirement age, where Apple are going to stop supporting them, that's when Linux has to be ready so that you can turn it into a little server you stick under the stairs and have it be your home media server and stuff, right? So when Apple are about to drop support go. for the M's, that's when the Linux has to be ready. And by the looks of things, it will be well in, well in time for the first... Was it the Mac Mini was the first M series. So by the time that Mac Mini falls out of Apple support, there should be a Linux ready to pick it up. And that's what we want. That's a good point. Yeah. Right. So well, as I say, it's been a funny week, a funny month's worth of Apple news because they're the three biggest stories. But I do have a whole bunch of stuff that I've put under quick stories because I, it is worth mentioning. But it's, it really doesn't meet the definition of a main story. So Europe have a thing called Safer Internet Day and Apple decided to row in behind it full steam ahead. So they have, they released some web stuff. So their apple.com for us families has been given a nice little makeover. It looks very good. But they've also created a new Today at Apple session in their Apple stores called Your Kids and Their Devices to help you set up family, basically, uh, parental controls and all that stuff. And they have also rolled out the um, iMessages child protection feature. So this is a feature where a parent on a managed Apple ID can enable a feature where it will use AI to check for nudity and block it for the child's devices. So this feature is rolling out to a whole bunch of countries, not all in Europe, but a lot in Europe, uh, Belgium, Brazil, Japan, the Netherlands, South Korea and Sweden. That's actually half in Europe now that I counted three and three. 
again, you know, it's nice to see Ireland is not on the list yeah. though. Uh, Apple also appear to be trying to resurrect their car keys feature that they went a bit quiet on. There is now an app that is, it's in the app store, but not listed. So if you have the URL, you can get to it, but only if you have the URL. And it is designed for car manufacturers to test the car key feature on their cars. So hopefully this is a sign that that feature is going to become more widespread because that will be darn nice. And you have that feature in the Tesla, correct? Effectively? Effectively, but it's not it's not the full whack, right? So it's Tesla's own version. So Tesla, you have to use the Tesla app. And if you want to give someone else access to your car, they have to sign up to Tesla and mm. give themselves a Tesla account, install the Tesla app, and then you can give them guest access to your car. So what's wrong with that? Oh, how, works, how would you but, want it to be done? Well, car key is like Apple Wallet, so you could just give it to anyone, whether or not doesn't matter what brand of car I can't they give have. My Apple Wallet to someone else, right? Are but you, with the you? car key feature, you can. It's like home keys. Anyone who has an anyone who has an Apple device can have a car key. So you can just iMessage them access to your car. That does not sound like an advantage to me. Having a little no, no. friction in that sounds like an advantage to me. Well, no, but if I want to give you access to my car, I don't want to have to make you do something. I just want to give you access to my car. You need to borrow my car. Here you go. I don't, I, I, I don't get it. So if like my daughter wanted to borrow my car instead of having to hand her something, I could literally give it over to her in that respect, right? I messaging that you access. literally send her an iMessage saying for a day you can access my car and then her phone would access your car for a day and then it would stop. And you could do that with with the Tesla, Tesla app. Yeah, app, you but can. You just can't use it through iMessage. It has to be. You have to. I have to sign up. They have as, to have an account. They have right. to have an so account. There's exactly. a little bit more friction. Yeah. But but a lot more a lot comes along with that. When uh, if I gave uh, my son access to my car through the Tesla app and he gets into the car with his phone and the seat changes to be in the correct position, it, it grabs his phone, makes it come through the audio. Uh, you know, everything but the rearview mirror is is Kyle's profile. Why not the mirror? Because it's mechanically, you move it with your hand. That's why. Oh, okay. So I, <laughs> I'm kind of surprised by that because the, the side mirrors are all motorized. Everything else is motorized. Right. The seat is motorized. The other okay. one isn't. Yeah, you're right. It could be, but I've never been in a car that it is motorized. So uh, I've never but had I, to I share a car, so I never even noticed. Well, that's, I obviously that's said the it other once. thing. I do like the idea that Apple seemingly has tried to do everything to get rid of items that are in my pockets. Mm. So... And so basically it's going to end up being two things, my iPhone and AirPods. Yeah, pretty That's much. <laughs> I would like to note that I keep getting messages that says that uh, unknown AirPods are traveling with me, Barry. Are there Barry's AirPods? <laughs> <That'll be> a- <laughs> I believe so. They don't say they're Barry's AirPods, by the way. You need to name your AirPods so I know who's doing it, but they're just, they're just called uh, AirPods. But uh, it's strange fine. enough, Steve is not getting those notifications, but I Oh, am. you're getting them since I've been here? Yeah. Oh, yeah, I've got them twice. Wow. I, I actually saw someone. Because they're on essentially the like air tags. Yeah. yeah. Someone on the airplane had an air tag that showed up, which I thought was odd because I thought they didn't unless they were unregistered. And I was so tempted to click that button and connect it and take over that air. The Wait, what AirTag. do you mean? What do you mean by they only show up if they're unregistered? I said, well, it, was they're registered. it told me it wanted to connect to this air tag, which. Oh, oh. Right. That so is a factory ready air tag. Yeah. And it had the person's initials because it had been customized because there was like three <laughs> initials and a number. And I'm like, ooh, but didn't have the manifest, so I couldn't figure out. But it, they had to be pretty close to me. Within Bluetooth range, yeah. yeah. Well, Bluetooth range is pretty big. It's like 300 feet or something. So inside of an airplane is pretty easy. That's true. Yeah, and there are a fair few of you. Like, yeah. yeah. Wedged together. Interesting. Anyway, not much interference there. <laughs> true. So that is a thing. Uh, another thing that has happened is developers have now f- have a new tool. Uh, so the, Apple are using differential privacy to allow developers to rate, to basically measure their app's performance against other apps that are similar to theirs without knowing who oh. the other apps are. So is oh, my app more or less responsive than my competition? which is very good for developers to know because then they'll be racing each other to make their apps better and we all win. (laughs) 
So I'm I like that. Um, something that I the hell may have just frozen over, but there is an official legal way to run Windows 11 for ARM on your M series Mac now. Microsoft have licensed Parallels to offer official Windows 11 support on ARM based on M series Macs. It's interesting how Microsoft has just taken a different approach since. Uh, is it Satya Nadella? Satya Nadella, yeah. yeah. Satya is no Steve Ballmer. They are like I've listened to interviews with both. They are extremely different human beings. And I've, so, I mean, not related to the story, but in general, I prefer obviously to use a Mac. But the the Microsoft apps are pretty darn good, and they're updated yeah. frequently. Yes, that just surprises me because I'm so used to the old way of well, we're not even going to let you have access to anything. Yeah. And there was a lot of crankitude when iOS got the Office Suite update before Android and before I Windows. I remember that. And yeah, the Windows When the iPad version was better than, what was it? Was it the Surface version? Something yeah. like that at one time? Yes. So I have a question. I don't know whether either of you experienced with this, but my understanding is that Windows 11 for ARM is a severely limited version of, of uh, Windows, that it doesn't run all the apps, or have I yeah. got that wrong? It'll only run an app that's been compiled to use the the, the non-hardware-specific APIs. So you're right, it's a subset of apps that will work on the ARM processors. And I, I think it's a, that is a high limitation, was my understanding. I, I have no experience. Come. I have no experience. So I don't, Microsoft want everyone to be using the, the new API. So basically... Win32 has been around forever as the base API for Windows. And Microsoft won people off Win32 and on to the new platform agnostic APIs because that frees Microsoft up to support more hardware. But developers have a lot of years of experience with Win32. And so it's, they're not finding it easy to convince people to redo their apps on the new APIs. So I think you're right. I think even though they've been at this for a decade now, I think there are still very few of the... I don't think you're going to run something like uh, Photoshop on this. I, I, I think, yeah, I think you, you're probably right that it's very limited. That's. Uh, I'm trying to find if there's a list anywhere, and I'm not finding it. But uh, let's see. I'm on Android Authority, and I thought I saw there was going to be something interesting about it, but maybe not. My uh, understanding is, if it's in the Windows Store, it has to be using the new APIs. So I think you're limited to the Windows Store apps. And I don't it says believe... you can emulate x86 applications with Windows on ARM. Oh, that's equivalent to Rosetta then. Hmm. Well, depending on how that emulation is. True. Uh, sorry, it is attempting to do the same thing as Rosetta. Whether it's as good as Rosetta is, uh, yeah, that is a different question. Because Rosetta is amazingly good. I do not think about whether or not... The apps I run on my M series Mac have been compiled for Mac for M series Mac. It just it, it's an app. It works. Yay! I was worried uh, that Rosetta was going to be more like the the other transition that they had ten plus years ago, which was really rough. And this has been spectacularly successful. Yeah, I, I just don't even think about it. Like I know at an intellectual level, I know this is happening, but it doesn't affect my day to day life at all. I actually will look at the list of apps running to see if it's using the old intel version of the code because i, yeah, I can't know i i want to run the arm code just because i think it's yeah. better i don't know if it actually is but it in theory oh it should be a little faster yeah yeah and you actually do want to keep an eye on that because you may have an app that uh, has been updated to run under arm but you're never going to know about it if you don't keep an eye on that right because yeah. it'll keep giving you the rosetta version and that's another reason that i recommend when you're switching to um to uh, Apple Silicon Mac is don't just migrate all your apps over. Don't do that because you're going to get all of the Rosetta versions if you do that. You want to install from scratch. That's a good point. Yeah. So, uh, by the way, I, I hope you get hate mail saying I'm completely wrong about all that. That would be great news because I'm, I'm working under old information. But if I'm not, if I'm wrong, I would love to know about it. So, uh, write to Bart about it. Yeah. Actually, if anyone has direct experience of running Windows 11 on ARM, Please let us know what it's like, because none of us have done it, and we'd like to know. Yeah. In related news, Microsoft are bringing iMessage to Windows-ish, kind of, sort of. So they are creating an app called PhoneLink, which 
kind of gives Windows the same level of integration with an iPhone as, say, our Teslas. So you know the way we can use the Tesla interface to send and receive messages? Well, Windows will be able to send and receive messages, but only while it's connected to the phone and it won't be able to see a full history of everything on your phone because it's basically using the same API that you use to connect your phone to a car. Not a, huh. So not the Apple car experience, the default Bluetooth experience. So effectively, that API okay. is there. So why couldn't Windows use it? Why can't Windows be as smart as a car? Well, the answer is yes, it can. It's called Phone Link. And that is in preview at the moment, which is Microsoft's word for beta uh, for Windows 11. So okay. Better than nothing. Well, it looks, it looks like iMessage on, on Windows, so that's fun. Yeah. Uh, and then in other news, there is Mozilla and Google have both decided that they think Apple are going to be forced to allow them to run their own browser engine on iOS any day now because of the upcoming European laws. So they have started in public, in open source, updating their browser engines to run on iOS. So we may actually have real browser choice. So not just a skin across Safari, but actually the Mozilla brain and the Google. So you could have a Gecko, you could have a Gecko browser instead of a all web kit? Yes, exactly. Chromium. Or yeah, our Chromium, true Chromium instead of WebKit with a skin. So they are both working on it and they're both being very public about it. And they what are they gained by that? Uh, I would imagine most thing we would gain is more APIs implemented because people, web developers are perpetually cranky at Apple because Safari is slow to adopt new APIs. So new stuff gets released and it's available in the desktop browsers and it doesn't come to WebKit. Such as, like, what would be an example of what you mean by an API in this case? They're generally the, the, the APIs to make web apps behave more like native apps. And personally, okay. I think these are dumb APIs because they they allow browser fingerprinting by allowing the browser to know the battery status of your laptop or your phone. Like, mm. Why do I need my browser to know that? Well, the, so Safari prevents that, right? Safari has generally only, in, yeah, WebKit has generally only implemented genuinely useful APIs, but people who like being on the cutting edge and who want to make web apps that are indistinguishable from native apps want the newer APIs and Apple have always dragged their heels and it makes them cranky. I, I'm not sorry because on the whole, it's a, been a security train wreck, but they're very cranky. But I wonder whether it would let you do something like uh, join a StreamYard video uh, conference from it, your phone. It makes those things way more probable I, I won't promise you it can be done but it it it, it would i i think i i think so i i think so i think that's the aim here okay so we shall see uh, and then just a reminder stick a note in your calendar march 10th apple are holding their annual shareholder meeting these things are generally quite boring but there's always a few interesting motions and this year one of the motions from an investment group who have a dubious connection to reality are looking to fire Tim Cook and Al Gore for being lefty loonies, is literally their reasoning for wanting to fire them. Lefty loonies. Huh. That, well, clearly Tim story. Cook has done a terrible job yeah. building this company. I mean. Mm. <laughs> yeah, I mean, Jesus, look at the profit. Oh, wait, no. Open to the right. I, Open to the right. <laughs> I just noticed, uh, or it was just revealed to me, and I hadn't even thought about it, the annual rise in the stock value over the last two years, average, over 10 years, was 23% per year for 10 years. Microsoft was way up there, too. It was like 28%, I think, or 24%. Yeah. So, yeah. Wow. He's doing okay. He and Sacha, they're all right. Yeah, so we buying Apple stock is a lot better of an investment than just sticking your money in the bank at, what, 2% interest or whatever you get these days. Remember when Apple first hit, I think, trillion-dollar valuation and everybody's like, well, the law of big numbers is going to catch up to them. They can't possibly keep growing at this rate. Yeah, mm. and then it was $2 trillion and then $3 trillion. Mm-hmm. Uh, Apple are the second biggest. No, no, they're the biggest. Yeah, it's, yeah Tim Cook is extremely good at running Apple. Yeah, what, are, what are they worth now? They dropped down quite a bit over the last, I mean, that, uh, overall valuation because of the stock market. But they're still worth, I think, 
six or something trillion. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, really whatever, losing it. Yeah. Whatever yeah. they drop, they don't drop more than the average. So they're, yeah, they're always on the right side of those comparisons. They're always there you go. Market cap 2.387 billion. Oh. I did hear recently, though, their their uh, uh, cash in hand is down to like forty six billion or something. It's it'd be a B, right? Uh, oh, yeah. Where it was two hundred. Is it B? Jeez, that's yeah. a lot of money. Yeah, it's well. I mean, one of the things Apple was always being criticized for was having a ridiculous amount of cash on hand because that's not a good use of money. Cash on hand is wasted money. And I, people's theory of the case was that because Apple was so close to bankruptcy, they were a little bit paranoid about having enough spare. And one of the things Tim Cook, Tim Cook promised to do was to return money to shareholders. And he has been doing that every year, little by little, because it takes a while to give away trillions, sorry, billions of dollars. It takes time, it takes effort. Um, yeah. But, you know, Apple have been giving dividends, which they didn't used to do. So they're not just a growth and stock. stock they also dividends. And stock buybacks, yes, which is very good for existing stockholders. So anyway, March 10th, we get to, to see what happens there. Right. Well, that brings us to the end of another month's worth of Apple News. So thank you very much to my guests for helping us digest it all. Um, in no particular order, uh, actually, no, since you're a newbie, Barry, would you like to yeah. let the good listeners know where they can uh, find you online? Yeah, I've uh, done the migration where I'm over on Mastodon. So you can find me at FalkB, which is F-U-L-K-B at friendsofdesoto.social. So huh. those of you who are Star Trek nerds may very well understand that reference. Um, also on Instagram, Falkby as well. That's probably the best, easiest place. Um, I should probably resurrect a website or two, but <laughs> we'll see. Okay, well, cool. Uh, and Alison, for the one listener who doesn't know who you are, where do you <laughs> hang out? Well, the best place to find me is over at podfeet.com. That's where you can find everything that I do. But I am also an avid uh, uh, Mastodon person. Uh, it's uh, podfeet at chaos.social. And I want to tell you, all the news that you're hearing that, oh, you know, Mastodon's kind of slowing down. It's not getting this big increase that they had. And uh, you really should be all over Twitter. I have um, close to 4,000 followers on Twitter. And I have like, what do I have? I just looked it up. I have uh, far fewer on uh, Mastodon. It's like 400. So like 10%. I posted the same funny cartoon that I did not create on both services. On Mastodon, I got in 24 hours, 110 likes and 52 boosts. It's a very, very funny cartoon. It's a picture of a printer with a smiley face on it on a book. It's like a little cartoon. And it says the printer that simply worked and other fairy tales. I did like but, that. So, so again, to get that 110 likes, 52 boosts. On Twitter in, in a 24-hour period, I got six retweets and 12 likes with yeah. 10 times as many people. So people are engaged and having a blast on, on Mastodon. So that that's my little plug for Mastodon. Yeah, I would agree. I, it's just the noise has gone way down by moving over, and the engagement has been very positive. So I'm enjoying using Mastodon a ton more than I have on Twitter in the last five years, six years. Yeah, and I'll, I'll, I'll echo that as well. Um, no algorithm is amazing. I like the people I follow, their stuff comes in the order they posted with no one getting an unfair mm -hmm. boost. And I've gotten really sick of Twitter's algorithm thinking that I give a flying fig about what Elon Musk thinks about anything. I am <laughs> so fed up of being getting a, a push notification to tell me that Elon has spouted some garbage. Yeah, and he is blocked on Twitter for me. And yet he was still showing up. That's one of the reasons I said, I'm done. I'm out. Yeah, I haven't left exactly. Like, I mean, I'm getting so tired of quitting everything because I quit in all the Facebook properties and all that. But uh, uh, I, I went over to just install the Twitter app just so I could post tweets about my show. And I saw that I had some uh, some at replies. I thought, all right, I'll go take a look at him. Embedded in my at replies was a KTLA5 news article about a child who'd been murdered. Charming. In my at replies. Charming. Yeah. yeah, that's the last thing in the world I would like to see. And what the heck? Why, why is it my at replies? You know, it wasn't like it was a for you. So, yeah. Right then it popped up and said, would you like to review the app? Why, yes, I would. <laughs> <laughs> and the Twitter app has like 4.8 stars in the yeah. app store. 
How do they there are coders that? at Twitter that are probably hacking something. <laughs> it's probably really they're just paid. Yeah, just, yeah. just give us yeah. a five star. Anyway, uh, you will find detailed show notes about everything that informed my thinking on this month's news at letslashtalk.ie. While you're there, there's big blue buttons to support the show. Remember, this is a 100% listener supported show. So it exists because all of you listeners rock. Every time you tell a friend about the show, that is helping. Every time you click one of the buttons to support the show, PayPal, Patreon, it all helps. The show is approximately breaking even, which is what I always wanted it to do. So thank you. And again, without you, it wouldn't be here. I am very grateful to all of you. I've been your host, Bart Bouchotts. You can find me at bartb.ie. And until next time, happy computing. You're listening to another great podcast in the MyMac Podcasting Network. Hello, everybody. This is Simon Parnell, the host of the Essential Apple Podcast, the show where we aim to take a wander around the week's news in Apple, news, reviews, technology, security, and anything else that catches our eye. Plus, from time to time, we like to have guests from the industry who we get to tell us about their products, their services, their history, their philosophies, what uh, drives them, and of course, just what makes them tick. That, plus a bunch of friends talking about the news in Apple. What more could you possibly want? Check us out on the My Mac Podcasting Network 